Welcome to episode number 45 of Off the Shelf. My name is Rod Bergen, and I want to welcome you to this week's episode of the Off the Shelf podcast. Off the Shelf is now being heard in over 100 countries, and we are glad you could join us. The aim of Off the Shelf is to help people know what it means to be a true follower of Jesus. The podcast is primarily directed at followers of the message of William Branham and former followers like ourselves. This week, we are continuing our interview with John Collins, the author of the Seek the Truth website. You know, Rod, if Pastor Gwyno wants to be credible himself, then he should address these questions in a public forum and not hide behind a restricted website where his answers are, cannot be scrutinized. Anybody, anybody can speak in private and make a claim, but it's much easier to make that claim when you know other people aren't going to verify your claim. And of course, that's what a lot of people in the message ministers are doing now, is they're putting their sermons behind fences so that you can't get them, and we can't get them, until somebody uh, in the congregation says, yeah, you know what, he says that you're, uh, you guys are filled with evil spirits and, and that you guys are all wrong, and here's what he said, and uh, like, could you respond to this, please? Which we're happy <laughs> to do anytime. And I would say, again, we invite any reputable message minister to come on to this podcast and engage in a public dialogue about these and other questions we raised. And we are going to guarantee, and I will guarantee, that we're going to treat anyone that comes on this podcast with gentleness and respect as we are required to by Scripture. However, and unfortunately, I don't think this will happen because, as one message minister confided in me, I'm afraid you're going to tie me in knots, Rod. But that's not our <laughs> aim. We're just simply looking for answers to the questions that we started asking over eight years ago. So moving on, John, let's take a look at another issue that Pastor Gwena raised with respect to our assertion that his defense and the defense of voice of God with respect to William Branham, they're defending him through the use of what's called a red herring or multiple red herrings. Pastor Gwena has a big issue, and that issue is 
Deuteronomy 18, verses 20 through 22. We believe that it applies to William Marion Branham. Pastor Gwenna apparently does not. So he needs to find a way to reason his way out of the application of this, this passage in Scripture as it applies to William Branham. Let's For the listeners who aren't aware of what the Bible says regarding prophets, honestly, Rod, I think we actually even should take a step back for people who, like myself, were raised in the message and did not understand what a prophet was. I've I've had several people that I've spoken with who have now left the message, and they told me that when they were in the message, they thought a prophet simply meant somebody who has power or somebody who has control. That's what the message wants you to believe. Yeah. But that is not the case. The prophet is somebody who is the same as you and I are. He is a man, a human being, and God has chosen to speak through his voice to other people. It's not that he has any special significance whatsoever. It's that God has chosen to use them. If there is a significance, I would say that it is somebody who can humble themselves to this point. Let's read Deuteronomy 18, 20 through 22. It says, But a prophet who presumes to speak in my name, this is God's name, anything that I have not commanded, or a prophet who speaks in the name of other gods, is to be put to death. You may say to yourselves, how do we know when a message has not been spoken by the Lord? That's capital L-O-R-D, speaking of Yahweh. If what a prophet proclaims in the name of Yahweh does not take place or come true, that is a message of Yahweh that, that Yahweh has not spoken. That prophet has spoken presumptuously, so do not be alarmed. And, and I should add here, John, that William Branham held himself to that standard. Exactly. He often claimed, you know, to even to his own followers, if you can find one minor detail with any one of my prophecies, any one of them, that did not happen exactly as I said, put a sign on my back and put me out on the street, sign that says false prophet. Why are they not following William Branham own his own instructions, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly right. Exactly. So from this Bible passage, we can identify a couple of very important things. Number one, if a prophet says anything, anything at all, in the name of the Lord that does not take place or come true, then he is speaking something that did not come from God and is presumptuous. And, you know, Rod, this goes directly to the details of the prophecy. One of the things I've noticed, Rod, these cult pastors, as they're trying to defend prophecies that are failing or proven to have failed, they go to examples in the Scripture of the symbolic elements of a prophecy, which could be vaguely interpreted to different events that happen. But what they're they're distracting their Uh listeners from is this. Once the prophecy has been fulfilled, and you can identify all of these symbolic meanings, you cannot find a single detail of any of the symbolism that is a failure. Otherwise, I don't care who it is in the Bible, if it's Jeremiah or Zechariah or Daniel, they're a false prophet according to this. So the second point, a prophet that speaks something that was not what God commanded, 
should not be feared, and according to this passage, should be put to death. Yeah. Now, one of the examples that I have seen cult pastors use recently is talking about, there's a passage of Scripture where God has purposefully caused things that the prophets are speaking to be untrue. I can't remember the exact uh, book that this comes from in the Bible, but it's referring to a time whenever Israel is largely failing the Mosaic Law, and their Jerusalem is about to be taken over, and God has literally blinded these people because the fulfillment of the law is about to take place. And they use this, I, interestingly, they use these false prophecies that are in the Bible, giving them authority for William Branham to make false prophecies, not knowing that in both cases, these are false prophets. Well, yeah. If the prophet does, <laughs> you know, we have this phrase, a mulligan. If a prophet does not get a, he does not get a mulligan. He doesn't get a way to get out of this, according to Scripture. It's not three strikes, you're out. It's, it's a one strike, one even minor detail strike, and you are not a, a prophet, according to Scripture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I call it, it's a one strike and you're dead test. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. One strike and you're dead. You know, we've identified several alleged visions that William Branham claimed to have, but they clearly did not come to pass. And as a result, the Bible in many places, not just this one passage, declares William Branham to be a false prophet. This is important because it's not that we declare William Branham to be a false prophet. What you and I claim as our opinion has no significance whatsoever. The point that I'm trying to stress here is that the Bible is making this claim. Yeah. So how is Pastor Gwena going to make the Word of God no effect? How is he going to twist it such that the Bible, who says that William Branham is a prophet because of the number of details that did not come to pass as he said, He's now has to he has to reason himself around scripture by diverting away from the passage. And he has to trivialize the issues that we make, or not even that we make, that we have found in William Branham's claims. He has to trivialize those to make them seem as unimportant to his listeners. This is where he uses what we call and others call a red herring. So it's important to understand what a red herring is. A red herring is an issue or an argument that is introduced to deliberately mislead or distract a person from the actual concern that's being raised. In, in argumentation, a red herring is referred to as a logical fallacy that is designed to lead people to a false conclusion. Now, where the, the name comes from is in England in the 18th or 19th century, when noblemen would hunt for fox regularly, hunters would train their dogs to track the scent of a fox. Now, to teach them to stay on the proper trail, they would drag a strong-smelling dead fish, perhaps a herring, across the trail of the fox. And when the dog was chasing after the fox and reached the fishy crossing point, the new odor tempted it to follow the fish trail instead of the fox. And this may also account for the saying, there's something that smells fishy about this. 
right? If the dog fell for the setup, then the trainer would have to jerk it back onto the right trail. So today, when Pastor Gwenna, or the voice of God, tries to avoid Deuteronomy 18, 20 to 22 by raising some other point, then we're going to cry foul and try to jerk them back onto the track because they've just thrown or dragged a red herring across the point that we're making. Now, Pastor Gwenda's argument is this. William Bradham appears to be a false prophet according to Deuteronomy 18, 20 to 22. That's the claim we're making. So then he says, well, Abraham and Elijah in the Old Testament would also appear to be false prophets according to Deuteronomy 18, 20 to 22. But we know from the Bible that both Abraham and Elijah were, in fact, men of God. Therefore, we have biblical precedence to excuse William Branham's failures as well. So, what red herrings does Pastor Gwenna use for Abraham and Elijah? <laughs> we should first look at Abraham. And I'm laughing because I recently was, uh, there are some people in the local area who are about to leave the message. And <clears throat> one of them sent this sermon from a local uh, pastor in the cult where this cult pastor is claiming that Abraham was a liar. <laughs> and so therefore William Branham is allowed to lie. I remember growing up in the message, we were taught that there wasn't anything in the message that could even be remotely proven as false, that it was quote unquote more accurate than today's newspaper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> Pastor Gwynna quotes Genesis fifteen thirteen. It says, Then the Lord said unto him, Know for certain that for 400 years after your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. He also quotes Exodus 12:40, which says this, Now the length of time the Israelite people lived in Egypt was 430 years. Now, according to the vision of Abraham, how long was Israel supposed to be in Egypt? Can we say it together? 400 years. Now, according to Exodus chapter 12, verse 40, the Bible says, Now the sojourning of the children of Israel who dwelt in Egypt was 430 years. So in year 401, Ah, the preacher started to preach. We told you Abraham was a false prophet. I find it interesting but because for this pastor to defend William Branham, he is actually trying to make people think that the Bible is inaccurate. Yeah, yeah. And he's claiming to be a Christian pastor, and he's taking the Christian Bible and throwing it under the bus. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, mind-boggling. Yeah, it it just it blows your mind. It it contradicts normal human reasoning. Yeah, he says that, you know, he says that Abraham, um, and the children of Israel would be in Egypt for four hundred years, but they were actually there for four hundred and thirty. So, since the Bible does not say that Abraham was a false prophet, we know that this test of Deuteronomy, it must not have applied to William Branham too, because it didn't apply to Abraham. Yeah. Yeah. So what he's essentially saying here is 
the Bible tells us something, but we can ignore it because we don't care. The Bible does not apply in all cases. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so what's the biblical response to this convoluted, twisted reasoning? Well, it's really interesting because he obviously hasn't done his research. This is an issue that Voice of God raised. We addressed it on our website. So it's critically important to look at Scripture in the right way. William Branham's approach to the Bible, as well as what Pastor Gwena is doing, is something that is referred to as eisegesis, which really means you're reading the meaning into the text. Now, what any person will tell you who understands the Bible is what we want to practice is something called exegesis, which means we just get the meaning from the text. We don't take our own meaning or what we want it to say and read that into the text. Rod, for listeners who aren't aware of what these terms mean, can you give us an example of eisegesis? Sure. Take a look at Luke 1, 42, where Elizabeth, John the Baptist's mother, says to Mary, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Now, if you read most Roman Catholic literature on this passage, the thought that they bring out is that the blessing is somehow connected with Mary's sinlessness. That is, this statement means Elizabeth was saying that Mary was the holiest of all women, but there is nothing in the word blessed that suggests that the person of whom it speaks is sinlessly perfect. It just means God has blessed her. Now, if the term is supposed to mean that there's sinless perfection, does it also mean that all Christians are sinlessly perfect? Because we read in Galatians 3.9 that those who rely on faith are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. Does it mean that? No. What Roman Catholics are looking for is for scriptures that will support their belief in the doctrine of Mary's Immaculate Conception. So they read it into Luke 1.42. One of the things that, for myself, whenever I came out of the message, as you're aware, the vast majority of the message cult believes that the King James Version is the only inspired version. Yeah. One of the big things for me was learning how we got that version. And yeah. Not just that, but what the text actually means. I learned this is something that I learned from my business. I, I work with a lot of international resources, and I've learned to be very careful of what I say and how I say it because one single word in my language, for them to understand it, it's almost a paragraph of explanation, and vice versa. The way that the way that writings are interpreted, we can't really fit the entire summary of the meaning of that word into different languages because they aren't 100% compatible as they translate. Yeah, yeah. So what happens is when you're reading in the King James way, you're applying the English knowledge of these words and phrases from a people who did not write modern English, and, and in this case, the Queen's English. Yeah. So what I have learned to try to do whenever I'm studying very difficult passages is go back to the interlinear Bible, and it gives you, here's an entire phrase of what this word can mean and should mean. Yeah, yeah. So the, the other important aspect is it taught me to try to understand meanings of text 
instead of the power in the words. And my question is, whenever you're listening to the sermon, how do we how do we convince these readers, these listeners, to take the meaning from the text rather than reading the meaning into the text in the passage on Abraham that Pastor Gwina just read? So there's a couple of ways that we can look at this. And I want to start by asking our listeners one simple question. Were the children of Israel in Egypt for 400 years? Well, yeah, they were. They were actually there a little bit longer because 430 years includes the number 400. So Abraham's prophecy was not false. Now, it would have been false if they had spent less than 400 years in Egypt, but they didn't. So if Abraham had said that the children of Israel would be in Egypt for 400 years, 450 years rather, but they were only there for 430, then he would be a false prophet. But he didn't say that. He said they were going to be in Egypt for 400 years. Were they? Yes. So I don't understand what Pastor Gwen's problem is. Now, he said, well, you know, we want, we think that it, he meant it 400 years to the day. Okay. There's another way to look at this as well. The Septuagint version of the Old Testament. Now, just for so that people know, the Septuagint version is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. So it's the translation from Hebrew into Greek. And when you read Exodus 1240 in the Septuagint version, it states this, and the sojourning of the children of Israel while they sojourned in the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan was 430 years. So they've added these words, and the land of Canaan. Now we know that the Septuagint is authoritative because when Paul and Jesus quote from the Old Testament, they normally quote the Septuagint. So what this passage is saying is that when you add in the time that the children of Israel spent in Canaan before going to Egypt, you get 430 years. And this is the way the Jewish rabbis have explained this passage for over 2,000 years. So it's clear to me, notwithstanding what Pastor Gwena had to say, Abraham's prophecy was valid. And what Pastor Gwena is guilty of is using voice of God's red herring argument, which we stated we already disproved on our website. But Pastor Gwena did not take the time to research the issue. He simply swallowed voice of God's red herring. He smelled the red herring, darted off the trail, instead of following Deuteronomy 18, 20 to 22 and see where it leads. He didn't research the passage properly, but simply used eisegesis to read his desired meaning into the text of Genesis. It's worse than that, Rod. I felt real compassion listening to what he was telling these people in the way that he told it for people who didn't know any of these problems, alleged problems, existed in the Bible. Here is their pastor who's standing before them as a Christian minister, representing the Bible that he's holding in his hands. Yeah, yeah. And he's telling these people that there are problems in your Bible, but that's why William Branham can have problems too. Yeah, yeah. But he doesn't go and explain the answers to these problems. At least, you know, I listened to the sermon a, a couple times I went through it. I did not hear him standing for the Bible as much as he put it down. No, no, exactly. He said, this is a precedent for being why Deuteronomy 18, 20 to 22 doesn't apply to William Brown. 
Exactly. So if you take that thought and you follow it out to its conclusion, what if a member of his church decides to commit murder? Can we say that it's okay to commit murder even though the Ten Commandments clearly say, dude, thou shalt not commit murder? What passages do you say that you can take for truth in the Bible, and what passages are we to ignore in the Bible based off of this sermon? Yeah, yeah. There's there's no way to distinguish the two. The other red herring that Pastor Gwena uses is with, with respect to Elijah. Specifically, he's reading 1 Kings 19, verses 15 and 16, that says this, And the Lord said unto him, Go back the way you came, and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazel king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, the king over Israel, and anoint Elisha, son of Saphat, from Abel-Meholah, to succeed you as a prophet. The problem with this passage is that Elijah never anointed Jehu. But what happened? <laughs> Elijah, Elijah was taken up in a chariot before he anointed Azael, before he anointed Jehu. Failed prophets. Why? So does this make Elijah a false prophet, or does it support Pastor Gwyn's argument that a prophecy can appear to fail and fall afoul of Deuteronomy eighteen twenty through twenty two, but the person who is making the prophecy is still considered a prophet? Again, to deal with this, John, you have to look at the words closely. And, and this is what where Pastor Gwenna is way offside. What does the passage say and what does it not say? What meaning is he reading in? But what, like ignoring the meaning he's reading in, what does the passage say when we just look at the words and what does it not say? How do we take the meaning from the text and not read our desired meaning into the text or Pastor Gwenna's desired meaning? The Lord told Elijah to do certain things which included anointing Jehu as king. But Elijah did not say, thus saith the Lord, I will anoint Jehu as king. So what happened? Elijah appears to have disobeyed God. God told Elijah to do something to anoint Jehu, but he didn't. But God ensured that Jehu eventually was anointed as king. Now, does that make Elijah a false prophet? Does Deuteronomy 18, 20 to 22 apply to Elijah in this case? No. Clearly not, because Elijah did not say, thus saith the Lord, I'm going to do this. I'm going to anoint Jehu as king. If he had, and then he didn't do it, he would be a false prophet. I think it's important for listeners to understand the distinction of the commandment given by God and the explanation of what happened by the prophet or by the, the scribes who were writing the prophecies. Because if God is speaking something and God is all-knowing, God knows before it happens what's going to happen. He knows exactly how it's going to happen. He knows every minor detail, or he's not an omniscient God. The man speaking, the prophet, doesn't know anything until it comes through him by God, according to the way the Bible describes a prophet. I can say that the chiefs are going to lose the next game <laughs> in the series of the playoffs. That's me speaking, and my prophecy that I just made would likely come to pass because they're not doing that well. 
But if God says the Chiefs are going to win, if God has already the knowledge that they're going to win the next game, then it can't go any other way. Yeah. So you have you have to understand how the you have to understand the the action that is going to take place and the way that the the words are being phrased and who is making the statement, whether it's the God that's speaking through the man or the scribe who's writing the details of what happened. If William Branham said, God told me to go shoot a brown bear, and he didn't do it, then he would not be considered a false prophet. God spoke, God commanded him to go do it, and he chose not to, so he's not a false prophet in this case, he's disobedient. Yeah. But William Branham said, thus saith the Lord. And I want to emphasize that phrase and explain it a little more for people who are in the message, because it is said so frequently and so commonly that, as William Branham <laughs> says himself, it's like corn and green beans or something to that effect. Anybody can say it. Yeah. But this is simply not true. Thus saith the Lord is exactly what we described earlier. It's a human being who's standing there before his people, before the people. He's one of them. And he is announcing that God is about to speak through his vocal cords to yep. these people. Yep. William Branham said, Thus saith the Lord, I will shoot a brown bear and write it on the fly, <laughs> fry leaves of your Bible because this is coming to pass. Yeah. What William Branham just said is that God has just spoken through my vocal cords. He is telling you that I'm going to shoot this brown bear and write it down so that when it happens, you can know this this took place and God spoke it. He is, in this case, it's even worse than disobedience if he doesn't do it because God said that it would happen. He just walked into Deuteronomy 18, 20 to 22. Exactly. You, you can't, even if I were to run from it, it's still going to happen. Yeah. He didn't shoot the brown bear. So Deuteronomy 18, 20 through 22 actually applies in this case. We're required by the Bible and ironically by William Branham himself, to brand him as a false prophet. What Pastor Gwynn is doing, and what is what the Pharisees did, he makes the Word of God to no effect. He makes it so that we can ignore it. But if we are Christians, we cannot ignore this. So, Rod, I've demonstrated the passages, why the passages that Pastor Gwynn and I use are... <laughs> His usage of them themselves is a red herring. They're used by him to distract people from the real issue. But the real question that we need to answer is, did William Branham violate Deuteronomy 18, 20 through 22? We try to keep our podcast to a half hour or less, so we will bring this week's episode to a close. But please come back next week for the continuation of our interview with John Collins. If you have a question or comment, please feel free to go to our website at offtheshelf.life. There is a comment section at the bottom of every episode's webpage. Or you are welcome to send an email to rod at offtheshelf.life. Have a great week and thanks for listening. There is a war.